Uh, we're in the final week of a message series uh, that we've entitled Paradigm Shift. And uh, I don't know if I had heard that phrase until I started uh, studying for this series and looking into to different commentaries, but we've said that a, a paradigm shift is a change from one way of thinking to another. A change from one way of thinking to another. And although this phrase wasn't used until 1962, the concept first appears in, in the Apostle Paul's writing in the New Testament book of Romans, almost 2,000 years ago. And this has been a key verse for this series. So Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul wrote, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. And then here it is, by changing the way that you think. Then you'll learn how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. As followers of Jesus, we're called to, to not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but instead to allow God to transform us into new people by changing the way that we think. Now, some of your translations will say, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So our refusal to conform to the values of this world, it must go beyond simply a change in behavior. That's not really what God is after in our lives. God wants the truths of his word to, to be firmly rooted in our minds and in our hearts. You know, it's possible to avoid most of the worldly customs that Paul wrote about and still be a proud person, a selfish person, to be stubborn and arrogant. That's why it's important that we allow the Holy Spirit to renew us, to renew our minds, to teach us, to redirect our minds as we learn to see people and, and to see circumstances the way that God sees them. Throughout the course of your Christian walk, you're going to experience several paradigm shifts as you learn more about God's Word and as you learn more about how to apply it to your life. And some of these paradigm shifts are going to be easier than others. In this series, we're spending our time in Luke chapter 6. I think that this is where Jesus talked a whole lot about upside-down living. He gave some instruction to his disciples that are just countercultural. It goes against the grain. This is where he established several new spiritual entities to replace some of the man-made rules and practices that had just become worn out in the Jewish religion. He established a new way of understanding the Sabbath. We talked about that in week one. A new way of looking at a person's identity and their worth. We talked about that last week. He established a new way of understanding what it means to live a blessed life. You know, the world says that being blessed is one thing, but God says it's another. He established a new way of understanding what it means to love our enemies. That's what we're going to talk about today. The religious leaders of, of his day, they missed the mark on all of these things. They led God's people in the wrong direction. We know that through his own example, through his teaching, Jesus caused a paradigm shift in how people understood these things. He helped them have a clear view of what God's kingdom is all about. So the third paradigm shift that we're going to learn about is found in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. 
After teaching his disciples and the crowds about what it means to to live a blessed life. Now that's a passage I'm not going to preach on this morning. So I want to encourage you this week to read Luke 6, 20 through 26. That's the passage right before what we're going to look at today. So after he taught these things, Jesus continued his teaching by talking about what God's people are called to do and how we're called to act toward others. Now I've entitled today's message, it's a question, is this the most difficult command? Is this the most difficult command? Now on Monday morning, I thought that the title of this message was going to be something completely different. I thought about entitling it, um, How to Love Difficult People. And then I remembered that Sunday is Mother's Day, and I don't know if that's a good title for a sermon on Mother's Day, <laughs> How to Love Difficult People. You know, we, we have some husbands in the audience who are like, you need to listen to this, babe. <laughs> so I changed it. The message didn't change, but the title did. It's a question. Is this the most difficult command? I know how I would answer this question, but I want you to come to your own conclusion today as we read and unpack this passage. And I just have to be honest with you. Um, this was a really difficult message to write this week. And I think it's because this is a message that, for the most part, the American church misses. But it's something that we desperately need. If we're going to be effective for God, if we're going to be the kingdom workers that he has called us to be. So I hope that this hurts a little bit. For the sake of God transforming, renewing your mind so that you would learn more and more what it means to live for him. So Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. This is what we read. But to you who are willing to listen. That's kind of the, the start there. We, we have to be on the same page together. So are we willing to listen this morning? Jesus said, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for bringing us together on this Lord's Day. I thank you for all of the mothers in, in our lives and their example and that they give us of what it means to live for you and how they raise children, how they raise them up to send them out. Lord, this is a difficult passage. 
we know that, Holy Spirit, you are our teacher. You are our comforter, our encourager. And I ask that you would convict us in the areas of our lives where we need conviction today. That you would teach us clearly so that we know how to apply your truths to our lives. God, I pray that we would be a church that honors you and glorifies you and how we serve together and how we love those who are difficult to love. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. So Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hate you. This is a command that seems impossible most of the time. Yet Jesus calls us to live this way as we seek to live for Him. It's important for us to understand the context of this command before we jump straight to the context. We have to remember that Jesus had just selected 12 men to be His apostles So whereas a disciple is someone who learns from Jesus to live like Jesus. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple of Jesus. So where a disciple is that, an apostle is someone who is a chosen messenger sent out with a special task. These men were divinely appointed ambassadors who learned how to share the good news of the gospel with a world that was desperate for hope. So after selecting these 12 men, Jesus taught them and the rest of the disciples about what it means to follow him. He talked about how many of his followers would have to endure poverty, hunger, uh, sorrow, and even persecution. So those, those mass crowds, those vast crowds that were following him, they got smaller as time went on because they realized that, man, where Jesus was really popular at one point, um, this was starting to look bad on, on themselves. To follow Jesus meant they were going to have to to die to themselves. And that's what we learn, that the Christian life is to deny self, to take up your cross daily, and to follow Jesus. But he told them that in their suffering, they would actually learn to know true joy. They would experience God's blessings. This is what many theologians and commentators refer to as upside-down living. It goes against the grain and the fabric of the society that we're a part of. Christians are called to be different. If you look like the world that you live in, you may not be following Jesus. According to what Jesus taught in the previous passage, Luke 6, 20-26, there are essentially two kinds of people. There are people who will suffer for Jesus' sake, but they'll experience God's joy and and blessing. And then there are people who will live life for themselves, but they will experience sorrow in the end. If you decide to live for Jesus, let me just tell you today that there will be people who hate you. There will be people who think and talk negatively about you. There will be people who write you off because of your faith in Jesus. Jesus. Persecution comes in all kinds of flavors. We know that there are are brothers and sisters uh, that are a part of the church that suffer persecution physically, but there are other kinds of persecution. And in today's passage, we learn about how we're called to respond to the very people who hate us, who insult us, and who write us off. You know, the natural human response, and I think what we see most of the time, is to repay hate with hate. It's to repay evil with evil. This was the philosophy of the world during the first century. It's the philosophy that many people still have today. Eye for an eye. That's how 
most people choose to respond to hateful and hurtful people. It was Claudius Lysias. He was a Roman commander uh, in, in the Roman army during the first century. He's actually mentioned in the New Testament book of Acts. He once said this, I consider it established. So there's no wiggle room on this. He said, I consider it established that one should do harm to one's enemies and be of service to one's friends. So this is how the world thought in the first century. This is how the world thinks today. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You do harm to the people that do harm to you. You talk negatively about the people who talk negatively about you. And you do good things to the people who do good to you. It's sad, but I know many Christians who live this way. Well, Jesus ushered in a paradigm shift when he taught something completely different. He says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hate you. So is this the most difficult command that Jesus ever gave? And how are we supposed to live this out sincerely? I understand this. You have people in your life that are really difficult to love. Amen? How do we live this out sincerely? How can we love our enemies the way that Jesus calls us to love our enemies? I think it's given to us plainly in the text. So we have a seven-point message today. It's going to go fast. Number one, do good to those who hate you. Do good to those who hate you. Yeah, I, I think we believe that we're loving our enemies when we choose not to respond or retaliate with hate. But, but loving our enemies is not just a lack of retaliation. It's not just a passive approach. Choosing to not punch a difficult person in the face is not what Jesus had in mind when he gave this command. Loving our enemies does not mean that we do not treat them how they treat us. Instead, Jesus is calling for a positive action toward our enemies. Loving our enemies is agape love. It's love in action. Jesus was saying, friends, there, there are no excuses for, for not treating a person well. There are no excuses for that. There, there's no, yeah, but, but he said this about me. Or he did this to me. Or you don't know what she's been saying behind my back. There, there are no excuses in the kingdom of God for not treating a person well. In other words, we are never justified as followers of Jesus in not treating another person well. Do good to those who hate you. Number two, bless those who curse you. Bless those who curse you. Not only are our actions to be positive toward our enemies, but our words, and this gets harder, I think, our words are also to be positive. When someone talks negatively about you, guess what? You shouldn't retaliate. You've heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, and finish it for me. We know that's not true. <laughs> But we're raised hearing that, and we're raised telling our kids that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Don't listen to what people are saying about you. This is entirely untrue. Words have the power to lift a person up or to tear them down, to build, to build a bridge or create a gap. The Bible affirms this. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 is just one of many verses. It says the tongue can bring death or life. The tongue, the things that you say can bring death or life. God tells us in his word that the tongue has incredible power. We can use it to bring blessings and life or curses and death. 
So I think you could paraphrase that by saying, what you say matters. The words that you say matter. Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Let's unpack that a little bit. The idea of blessing is to invoke God's favor on another person's behalf or to appeal to God for that person. He's saying, bless those who curse you. The people that talk about you, that say things negatively about you, appeal to God on behalf of that person. I understand that it's difficult to respond with grace, with kind words when someone is talking about you, saying hurtful things to you, especially if it's like a family member. We typically like to respond with the same kind of fury and intensity that we're receiving. You know, it's like adding fuel to the fire. But Jesus calls for us to have an unnatural response. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. This, this goes against our, our human nature, our sin nature. He says, bless those who curse you. Choose to give life-giving words, even when it's hard. Man. And that's just point number two. Number three. Pray for those who mistreat you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Instead of mistreating those who mistreat you or hating those who hate you, with God's help, you can do good to them. You can speak life-giving words to them and you can pray for them. And don't miss the first part of what I just said. With God's help. Can we do this on our own? No. Can we do it with God's help? Yes. Let me, let me repeat that. Friends, can we do this on our own? No. But can we do this with God's help? Yes. With God, all things are possible. You can do good to them. You can speak life-giving words. You can pray for them. So what are we supposed to pray? Here are a couple ideas. Pray that God would give you His wisdom, first and foremost, in how to respond to that person. You know, sometimes before you begin what I would call a crucial conversation with someone, especially if it's one of those difficult conversations, you need to allow God to speak to you before you speak to others. We are so quick to speak sometimes. We need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Pray for God's wisdom. We're told in God's word that if we pray for his wisdom, he's not going to withhold that from us. That's not something that he, he guards protectively. He wants to give that freely to his people. So pray for God's wisdom. Pray that God would help you see the other person as he sees them. That's been my prayer a lot this season. I've had some difficult interactions with people and I've just had to pray, God, like I know I'm in the wrong here. I need to repent of this. Help me to see this person through your eyes. Help me to see them as you see them. And pray that God would give you actual opportunities to love them. That's where it gets hard. It's like faith in action. You know, that's what, that's what faith is, right? It's not just isolating ourselves, but it's, it's putting our feet to work and our hands to work. So when you have that difficult person in your life, try praying that. God, give me opportunities to actually love this person and to serve this person. Pray that God would change that person's heart so that they could know what it's like to live for him. I told my wife last night what I'm about to read I think is my favorite part of the sermon today. We have a great example of this in a man named Stephen. He was a follower of Jesus. He was the first Christian martyr. Stands as a powerful example of what it looks like to actually pray for those who mistreat you. Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15 says that Stephen, 
A man full of God's grace and power performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. So he was a kingdom worker. He was doing great things for God. You think life would be easy, right? No. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. There were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So was it Stephen speaking or was it God speaking through Stephen? It was the latter. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people. Like the crowds were getting fired up about this. Roused the elders, the teachers of religious law. So what did they do? They arrested Stephen. They brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. So immediately following this, I'm not going to read all of it because it's actually uh, chapter 6, chapter 7, and into chapter 8 of Acts. But right after this, we read about how the high priest questions Stephen publicly. All these people around him. I don't know that he had anyone on on his team in the room. Acts chapter 7, the entire chapter records Stephen's response. And, And instead of arguing back and forth with his accusers, with the people lying about him, saying hurtful things to him and about him, instead of arguing with them, he decided to just take them to God's Word, explaining how God's people have always had a tendency to try and resist God's leading in their lives. It's this cycle that we go through, friends, of faith and doubt. Faith and doubt. And God is is building our faith as He makes us more like Jesus. This process of sanctification. In this room today, I know there are those of you who are on a mountaintop. You're on a peak experience in your faith. you got a lot of faith in God right now. But there are those of you who are here that you may be in a valley and you're just thinking, I just don't have a lot of faith right now. I'm experiencing a lot of doubt, a lot of questions. It's okay. It's okay. I love his example because he took them straight to God's word. The Jewish leaders, they were infuriated by this, by his accusations. So what did they do? The Bible says they put their hands over their ears. They didn't want to listen. With their hands over their ears, they rushed at Stephen. They dragged him outside of the city, and they started to stone him. That was their response, eye for an eye. Hate with hate. At least they thought he was being hateful. We know that he wasn't. And I love this because before Stephen died, He spoke. What do you think he would say? This hurts. Stop. God help. What do you think would come out of Stephen's mouth? Well, the Bible records it for us. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit and don't charge them with this sin. Stephen chose to respond like Jesus by praying for those who were persecuting him. After being nailed to the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He prayed for them. So how did Jesus respond to those who hurt him? He prayed for them. How did Stephen respond? He prayed for them. You will likely never be in a situation like this, but friends, there will be people who hate you. 
There will be people who mistreat you, who speak negatively about you because of your faith. Do good to them. Bless them. Pray for them. This is what it looks like to love our enemies. And this isn't easy to do, but we have the Holy Spirit's help. Can we do this on our own? Can we do this on our own? Can we do this with God's help? Yes. Number four. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. This verse, this illustration, I think, has unfortunately been used in the wrong way many times. It's been unfortunately used to to teach people that you should just let someone beat the tar out of you if they try and start a fight. (laughs) You know, just stand there and just, just take the beating. But that's not what Jesus was saying. Again, it's important that we don't miss the context, the cultural context, the religious context of of what he was teaching his disciples. That phrase, slap on the cheek, was used often to describe an insult from one person to another. This was verbal abuse. Jesus wasn't talking about a fist fight. He was talking about an insult. And this explanation, this understanding, uh, fits perfectly with the passage that comes right before this. Luke chapter, chapter 6, verse 22, uh, Jesus said, What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man? What blessings await the person who, who goes through this and is able to persevere through this with God's help? So the application, I think, is very simple. When someone insults you, don't retaliate. When someone insults you, don't retaliate. We love to try and have the last word, don't we? When you're arguing with your spouse, you love to have the last word. It almost feels weird not to. You know, it's like, I gotcha. When you're arguing with a relative or a, a coworker, you want to just get your two cents in there. Make sure they know exactly what you're feeling and what you're going through. We love to have the last word, but Jesus said, let people insult you. Part of what it means to follow Jesus is being willing to suffer insults and humiliation again and again. If someone slaps you on the cheek, if they mock you or insult you, offer them the other cheek as well. Now, now, maybe you're hearing this, and especially men, I think. We, we think this just sounds weak. This doesn't sound manly. Why would I do this? I mean, you know, we watch UFC on Saturday nights. We watch people beat the tar out of each other, and we think we got to do the same to other people. We just get fired up about it, you know? We, we watch sports all the time, and it's, it's competitive. It's like we got to have the last word. But, friends, don't misunderstand. Don't mistake weakness with, me- with meekness. Weakness with meekness. You see, meekness is having a submissive and teachable spirit toward God that reveals itself in general consideration toward others. In other words, meekness is not weakness, it's power under control. That's what meekness is. The reason behind retaliation, you can twist it and turn it all you want, but the reason behind retaliation is always pride, it's always sin. But when you're humble, When you're meek, rather than prideful and aggressive, you end up reflecting the power and love of Jesus in a much greater way. This can be an extremely powerful witness for God. And I know seeing this, hearing this, um, it it may even go against the fabric of how you want to raise your kids and teach them to stand up for themselves in this way. There are better ways to do that. 
There are more scriptural ways to do that. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. Number five, if someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Jesus taught that we should give even to those who mistreat us. Most commentators agree that Jesus was referring to someone who has a legitimate need. I mean, after all, that's what uh, compassion is. And that's what follows in uh, Luke chapter 7, we're going to get to. It's just all these stories about the compassion of Jesus. Compassion is giving up my wants to meet another person's need. So you're called to have concern and compassion for the people God has put in your circle of influence. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul echoed this truth. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Only when people are mean to you, then you can be that way. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Christians are called to live differently. Christians are are to be more concerned about the needs of people than the protection of their property. Let that sink in a little bit. We tend to be a pretty materialistic people. Even if people mistreat us, we're called to go above and beyond to help meet their needs. And this is, again, upside-down living. And if you're anything like me, then you already have a hard enough time giving over and above to the people that you like. Not alone the people who mistreat you and who hate you. But we have to remember the context, again, for this verse is loving our enemies. That's the whole context here. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Go above and beyond to meet the needs of others. That's what it looks like to live for Jesus. Go above and beyond. Be generous to the point that it hurts a little bit. Otherwise, I don't know that it's generosity. Give to the point that it hurts a little bit. Otherwise, I don't know that it's really joyful giving. Number six, give without expecting anything in return. Give without expecting anything in return. Jesus wasn't talking here about giving money to panhandlers or people who will use what you give them for evil. Again, we have to remember the context, his original audience. Verse 30 reads, give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Some translations will say give to anyone who begs, but that's not the right translation. That's not accurate to the Greek. Uh, The most accurate word is what we have actually in the New Living Translation here. It's the word asks. So asks is the the right way to think about this. Give to anyone who asks. Not only should we go above and beyond to meet the needs of others, even our enemies, especially our enemies according to Jesus, but we should give without expecting anything in return. Man, I've been on the wrong end of this so many times. How often do you do something for another person and then in the back of your mind you're just thinking like, are they going to say thank you? Are they going to give me something back? Are they going to, you know, I mowed their lawn, are they going to mow mine? (laughs) Oftentimes we give expecting something in return. But Jesus says live live life with, with open hands. We have to remember that every good and perfect gift that we have comes from above. Everything that we have belongs to God anyway. We are just stewards of the things that we have. The car that you drive, the house that you live in, the clothes on your back, you are just a steward of those things. And Jesus is saying, this is what it means to steward well. Live life with open hands. 
Not only be willing to give to your enemies, but give without expecting anything in return. We need to ask ourselves a couple of questions. We need to ask ourselves, what can I give without asking, what will I get in return? And the point here is simple. Again, it comes back to possessions. Jesus you know, talked more about money than anything else, not because he wants your money, because he wants your heart. And he knows that our money, our possessions, are usually the things that control our heart. It's the things that we live for. Jesus wants us to live for him. So the point here is that our concern for possessions should be so minimal that we will not care that the other person, that other people use our possessions and do not return them. Let me say that one more time. Let it sink in. Our concern for possessions should be so minimal that we will not care that other people use our possessions and do not return them. Live life with open hands. If someone doesn't return whatever it is that you lent them, just assume, friends, that they needed it more than you. That's a good way to think about it. They needed it more than you. Number seven. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. And this really is the overarching principle that should guide how we love our enemies. This is the, the bow that ties it all together. We're called to do to others as we would like them to do to us. Now, oftentimes, we reverse this truth. We reverse this truth in how we live and, and even teach it to our children. I'll explain that. When one of your kids does something to another one of your kids, the natural reaction is to say, is that something that you would want them to do to you? And we ask that question, and of course they say no. But without realizing it, this is how we reverse the principle. We typically think in terms of not doing something to others that we would not want them to do to us. Another example would be, I don't want people to be mean, so I will not be mean. But this is not what Jesus is teaching here. It's a lot easier to not do to others what you would not want them to do to you, but that's a passive approach. Are Christians called to be passive? No, we're called to be active. Here, Jesus was teaching his disciples to be proactive. He says, do to others as you would like them to do to you. Do to others. That's how the verse begins. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. That's the command. And I was thinking this week, if every Christian in the world, and I included just everyone here, that's what you're going to see on the screen here in a second, but you know, if every Christian only did to others what they would want done to themselves, it would literally change the world. Again, not, you know, don't do to others what, they, what you would not want done to yourself, but if you would just do to others what you would want them done, what you would want done to you. It's a proactive approach. That would change the world. Being proactive when it comes to loving our enemies, that is at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I have found, and I tried to find a loophole, I tried to find a way around this, but I found so much more teaching from Jesus this week that talks about loving our enemies and loving the difficult people in our lives than loving the people who love us back. That kind of shook me a little bit. God is serious about this. Even when it's hard or seems impossible, this truth doesn't change. It doesn't change because we don't want to love the difficult person. It doesn't change because of what they said to us or did to us. 
And some of you in, in this room today, you have been carrying around hurt and bitterness and, 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 and hate towards another person for so long that it has taken root in your life to the point that it affects your plans during the day. It affects where you go and the people you talk to. And here Jesus is saying, no, love your enemies. Be proactive about this. Don't isolate yourself. Don't hide yourself. Run to the conflict and allow God to use you to resolve it. Otherwise, you're not living like Jesus. And if you're living with that hate and that, that anger that's just built up in your life, if it has taken root in your life, you need to believe the gospel today. You need to repent of that sin and believe the gospel. Because in the gospel, we learn that it was while we were, were sinners, while we were enemies of God, that's why when God died for us, that's when he gave himself for us. And now we, as changed and transformed people who are being more transformed into the image of Jesus, now we are called to live that way to others. When you leave here today, it's, it's Mother's Day. If there's someone in your life, whether it's your, your mom or a family member or a neighbor or a friend, and you have just been living in conflict and you have been returning hate with hate and evil for evil, or you've just been isolating yourself, run to that person. Allow God to use you to help resolve the conflict for the glory of God. That's why this is hard. Because it's easy to read words on a screen and it's easy to even agree with it verbally. It's much harder to put it into practice. But can we do this on our own? Can we do this with God's help? Yes. Jesus finished this section of his sermon by explaining the reasoning behind why we should love our enemies. Verses 33 through 34, he says, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even if sinners, even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. So Jesus is saying here that if you only love the people who love you in return, the people who are easy to love, you haven't really loved like Jesus. Does God only love the people who are easy to love? We're all hard to love. I'm just speaking from experience. We're hard to love. If you only do good to those who do good things back in, in return or to you, you haven't really served like Jesus. You only give to those who can repay you. You haven't really been generous like Jesus. It's easy to fall into the mindset that we're doing great things for God when we're loving the people who love us back, when we do good to the people who do good things first, and when we give to those who can repay us. We should do these things. You know, don't, don't misunderstand me today. You should do these things. Love your family well. Love your coworkers well. The people that are easy to get along with, love them well. Serve them like Jesus. But it doesn't make that much of a difference in God's kingdom if we're only loving those people because everybody does this. If we never learn to love our enemies, then we're just acting like the rest of the world. When it's hard to love difficult people in our lives, we need to remember Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. This is what I'd like to read as I wrap up the sermon today. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Don't just be hearers of this today. Be doers of this. 
Paul wrote, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, and then listen to this, while we were still his, and what's the word? Enemies we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. And now, as the body of Christ, we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. God made his enemies his friends. He adopted his enemies into his family. What does that mean for the way that we're supposed to live? Does that have an effect on the way that we interact with with the people who are difficult to love? Allow the gospel to transform your life. Allow God to help you live in a way that would bring glory to God, that would be for the good of others, that would point people to Jesus and what we learn about him in Romans 5, 6 through 11. That what God has done for you, he can do for them as well. This is what it means to follow Jesus.